0: How can I be right with others? I was reading the Charisma magazine the other day, and there was an article that caught my eye by Reverend Robert Hahn, H-A-W-N. Right at the top there was a caption which read, I have come to realize that Jesus really meant it when he said he wanted us to have a life of joy, peace, and abundance. That life comes as we begin to really love and serve each other. That last phrase was what caught my attention. That life comes as we begin to really love and serve each other. I wonder if you thought of it in that way. He said down in the article, The world says there is strength in our individualism and you must do your own thing. We can't afford to live that way, he said, speaking of the church, of the Christian. Christians are supposed to call upon God, be known as God's people, and be joined together always finding God's strength to overcome the world. Now, what he's saying to us is that you will never be an overcomer until you discover how to get along with each other. That's the theme of my message today. The New Testament word is koinonia. You've heard it before. It's from the Greek text, and it means fellowship. We read from 1 John 1:3: That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And from Acts 2, 41 through 47, the church continued daily in fellowship and in breaking of bread from house to house, and so on. Koinonia. It literally is a very special sort of thing implying to be a part of, to share in, to participate in. You cannot be aloof and be a true follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot enjoy his power and be aloof and disconnected from the other members of Christ's body. There must be a koinonia, a fellowship in and through every one of us. Now there are two parts to my message today and they're very simple. The first one deals with today's need. And under today's need, there are two things that I want to mention. The first being, we live in a very depersonalized society. Now if you don't believe that, just go out shopping in some of these crowded places as I did the other day and found out that I had to take a number. Now, I don't shop much. It just drives me batty. There there seems to be so many more important things to do than shop. So my wife is very happy to assume that ministry. She loves it. She has a special calling to shopping. In fact, she has the gift of shopping. I have yet to find it in the scripture, but I know she has it. I just noticed some shoes I've never seen before on her feet. I will learn of it later, but they're new. but not for me, if I have something to get, I'll go and get it fast and gone. But I went into this place the other day wanting to be helped and they said, please take a number, a number. Don't you know who I am? I was not a pastor of a church like this or a television personality. <laughs> that sounds funny anyway, doesn't it? I'm just a big dummy, really. But I was four, five, six for ten minutes. Incredible. You have an area code. You have a zip code, and now they want you to use all nine digits. I still haven't learned what those last ones are. I've never used it yet. I should, but I can't even find where I put it. You have a social security number. You know that. In fact, all of the applications you fill out these days, banks, anywhere, put down your social security number. That's more important than your name. And the whole thing may fold. So hang on to your name. (laughs) I kind of like the personalized license plates. That, to me, is a little bit refreshing in a depersonalized society. I have one. How many of you have seen my license plate? How many of you haven't? How many of you don't care? Well, I have one so that when we're all buzzing around, you'll say, hey, there's my pastor. Because my plate says one pastor. Maybe you haven't seen it because I was moving too fast. I don't know. But it's there and it—that's kind of nice because often I have been going down a boulevard and somebody comes up in the other lane and goes, you know, I know, that's one of mine. Oh, that feels good. We're together for a few seconds in spirit. Now, I'm the third one with that kind of plate, I found out. One has just pastor, and one has pastor one, so I'm one pastor. That's the way it works. So now look for me, will you? And wave at me. Don't bump me, but wave and smile. In most colleges, students are known by a number. There is a great need for fellowship today because we have a depersonalized world. The second thing about today's need is it's a communistic world. And communism is on the opposite side of Christianity. The word they use is comrade. Now we use the terms comradeship and camaraderie, but I want to say today that Marx may be able to make some comrades, but only Jesus Christ can make men brothers. And there's a big, big difference in the two. Some believe that the book of Acts teaches Communism. They read in Acts 2, and 45, All that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. What the Bible teaches is completely different than communism. First of all, when you move into the fifth chapter of Acts, after what we just read, and come to the fourth verse, you will see Peter asking Ananias and Sapphira a question. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? That's not communism. You see, they had the power to do with it what they wanted. Communism teaches that all property belongs to the state. Jesus taught us that private ownership of property is the right way. Was it not your own? Could you not do with it as you please? The second thing about communism is that the property of the Jerusalem Christians was not given to the state. It was given to the church. Communism says give it to the state. Jesus says If you're going to give it, give it to the church. That is completely foreign to the ideology of Moscow or Peking. Marx is probably turning over in his grave right now while I'm telling you this. Because of that lie, they have garnered millions of followers in the world thinking that that's the utopia when indeed it's the graveyard. So the property of the Jerusalem Christians you will find when reading acts was given to the church, not to the state. That's not communism. The third thing is the giving was voluntary, and you'll never find that in communism. You have to. This really sets Christianity apart. Communism depends on the fist of force. Jesus says, give it from your heart. I will give what I have to you, is Christianity. Communism is, I will take what you have and give it to whomever I please. So I just want to erase in the mind of anyone today that the book of Acts is teaching communism. It just is not there. In the early church, there was a life that flowed from member to member because of that one life that was living in each of those young believers. That's why they could do what they did in Acts 4 because of the life of Jesus Christ within them. It flowed then to every member of the body, and from house to house and day by day, that life was flowing until the last verse of the chapter says the Lord was able to add to the church daily, such as should be saved, because of the manifestation of Christianity in the lives of the members of that early church. How pale is the modern reproduction Somebody said, we bounce around our fellowship halls like billiard balls ricocheting off the walls, when in truth we ought to be crushed together like grapes. How true that is. The need of today demands me to speak on this subject. How can I know one another and how can I understand the other and how can I minister to the other and how can I reach out to the other and how can I relate to the other? In a depersonalized communistic world, it's getting harder and harder to do. Now the second point has to do with the sharing of life. This is the only way the needs of our time or any time can be adequately met by a sharing of life. Christian fellowship, in my opinion, is the greatest fellowship in the world. Someone has described it as two fellows in a ship. Fellowship, that's not bad, easy to remember. Wherever I go because of the resurrected Christ within, I find brothers and sisters, whether they be Arab, Jew, Greek, Roman, Oriental, if he knows the living Christ, we have a rapport that is not found among other people. I have experienced it in the Far East, in the Orient, in the Middle East, in South America, wherever I have been able to go, I have found this to be true. It is a sharing of life, brothers and sisters. It's not corny to say brother so and so, sister so and so. I have men in the ministry. You say I don't want to be called that. Pastors' wives say, "Don't call me sister Cole." We don't mind because it speaks of what I'm saying today. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're not, there's something wrong with us. It's not corny. It's not out of date. It's beautiful. A sharing of life. John said in verse 4 of the chapter in 1 John we read, These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now I want you to tie this together. We read the third verse in our scripture reading. Now move to the fourth. The third reads, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. You see what he's saying? The joy in many a life is missing because of no fellowship. Now, you may have come to the altar today for prayer and the laying on of hands, and that's wonderful because you're down in the dumps. You feel great burdens. I want to expand your thinking today a bit by suggesting to you that a thousand trips to this altar may not meet your need if you're not in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. These things we write unto you that your joy may be full. We have seen and we have heard and we declare it unto you that you may have fellowship with us. Fellowship descends from God and moves horizontally among the brethren. 1 John 1, 6 says our fellowship is with Him. Then we cannot escape what John reveals to us. What are these things that John writes about? Half the truth is that you may know Christ, that you may trust Christ, that you may know His love and His light. But he also said that you might have fellowship with us. Then your joy will be full. It's like 2 plus 2 equals 4. These things I write unto you that you may know Christ. That's the first two. Then the second two is that you may have fellowship with us. And then the equalization is joy. What comes from the two plus two is joy and fellowship and victory. Yet what do we do? And I can't look in any area now. I'm totally neutral. I'm looking right down the middle aisle, right at the camera. That's the best place. As soon as I say amen, at the end of Sunday morning, people shoot for the door. They want to be the first out of the parking lot, the first in the restaurant, the first out on Howe Avenue. And I only want to say to you that it's pretty hard to have joy, which comes from knowing him and fellowshipping with the brethren. When you're in such a hurry, you cannot pause to say good morning. Somebody told me before this service of what they saw in the parking lot before church. One of our kind attendants was lovingly trying to talk to a man who was not parked in the right place, and he just read that attendant out something to beat the band. He's probably sitting here in church, and I love you, but you did the wrong thing, sir. We have to be in fellowship with one another. I doubt your spirit is really too warm If that's the way you act coming into the church parking lot when we're trying to help people, are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's healing in this, and if you don't cooperate with it, you're going to be sick. You're going to be hurting, and you have to take time for one another. The Christian cannot live a solitary life. He will never know the fullness of joy that is available through Christ until he cultivates and pursues a mutual fellowship with the believer. Dr. John Ogilvie, or Lloyd Ogilvie, excuse me, pastor of the North Hollywood Presbyterian Church, said in a meeting I was attending one time, we can only know so much of Jesus Christ as we are willing to share with another. That was an exploding kind of a statement to me. We can only know so much of Jesus Christ as we are willing to share with another. That took me back to a friend of mine in the ministry who said to me one day, troubled Pastor Cole, he said, my church is having so many people come in for counseling and help, unbelievable circumstances, and it just seems almost overwhelming. And I said to him, well, Jim... Has it ever occurred to you the reason is that you have Jesus and your church is flowing with Jesus and you're the only church in that community Jesus can trust those people to? Oh, was he ever helped. It was like a burden lifted from his shoulders. And my dear friends, it's true here at Capital Christian Center, We will not be able to touch this community until we know how to touch each other and let the life of Jesus Christ flow through us to a needy world out there. That's the way it works. We can only know as much of Jesus as we're willing to share with one another. I had a girl call me this week, Monday. She was going to commit suicide in the parking lot of our church on Sunday. She had the pills. She had the alcohol. She was going to get into her car and drive to this parking lot, and we would find her dead after church. I said, why did you want to do it in the church parking lot? She said, that was the last place I ever felt good was in your church. I said, well, why didn't it happen? She said, my car wouldn't start. I said, well, that ought to say something to you. And we shared together and I think I gave her a reason to live. You see, that's the way it works. If Jesus Christ is in us and flowing from us, there will never be an end to those we touch. I want to say a word here to those of you who feel the church is getting too big. Every now and then I have to mention this. You see, the experts tell us that you'll never know more than 65 people in any group, no matter how big it is. 65 is your limit. The minute you get to the 66th person, it's too big. And this idea that I'm going to go to a smaller church, is ridiculous because a church cannot remain small if it practices the principles of the New Testament. It's impossible. Life begets life. So a church that's practicing koinonia is going to grow, and you're going to be unhappy there. So then you're going to have to move again, and in the process of moving, Jesus might come, and you may be looking at that point for a church. Hello? Hello? The the thing God wants us to discover is where we are, let's bloom, let's start fellowshipping, let's start reaching out to one another, let's start healing each other. Warmth is not a matter of size, it's a matter of spirit, and I feel a lot of warmth here today. I said it to Pastor Brown when he was up here, boy, there's a good spirit in the church, and there is. But I want us to come back to what it was like years ago when the barn roof would blow off and on Monday there would be 30 people over there to put the roof back on. You see, we get calls in the office here constantly. I need to get to the doctors. There's someone that could give me a ride. I need this, I need that. Sometimes we have to call literally sheets of people to find somebody who will take the time to do that, to have fellowship in a caring, sharing way, and it's tragic. You know what I believe we ought to come to? Through the men's breakfast on Wednesday morning, which is where you can get down to the nitty gritty and one-on-one type of thing, and the women alive a week from Tuesday night, and the Bible study home fellowship centers on the 30th of this month, we have many of them all over the community where you can get into a koinonia and know one another. What should be happening is, and this I believe, we should never have to call the church, per se. What we should do is pick up the phone and call that person we had koinonia with and say, John, Mary... I am in need, could you help me? And we say, well, absolutely. What can I do? Well, it's greater than me, so let me gather in the rest of our group and we'll take care of that problem. It's our responsibility. That's when we'll start touching those neighbors and winning this world for Jesus Christ. Sharing the life of Jesus. Don't leave it up to the professionals. We're not professionals. We're just stumbling pilgrims like you, finding our way. And let's start koinaneeing one another. Now, after having said that, let's go back to Ananias and Sapphira for a moment. Acts 5 1 to 12 is the story. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira was they believed they could have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but not with their brothers and sisters. That was the whole problem. The devil was at the very juggler vein of the New Testament church in Acts 5. He knew that if he could put over on the church, that you don't have to have a horizontal relationship, he could strangle the church. And the Holy Spirit let Peter see it. You have read that passage, and you have probably said, Wow, that's hard. Why did God smite them dead? Because he had to use them as an example. He was not going to allow the devil to take the juggler vein of the church. So when they stood before the apostle Peter, Peter, by the word of knowledge or discernment, whatever gift is appropriate there, knew what was in their hearts, and they were dying inch by inch before he even pronounced the sentence because they were trying to justify themselves instead of saying, Peter, you're right, we're wrong, God forgive us. In 1 John 4, there is a powerful message. It goes something like this. Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If you can't look around and say, I love that person, I love that person, I really love this person, there's something wrong because love is of God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God. And verse 11 of 1 John 4 reads, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. But, you say, I don't like the way she dresses. I don't like the way he holds his mouth. I don't like his smile. So what? What? Have you looked in the mirror lately? It will be good for you, if you will. I did, and mm, I'm humbled. You know, there really isn't a whole lot, is there, when you boil it all down? But we're sure good at ripping the other one apart, because they're just not quite up to where we think they ought to be. Here it is again. Beloved, if God so loved us, and how did he love us? Right where we were, in our nakedness, in our sin, in our putrefying sores, in our filthy rags, he loved us. Then he says, you ought to love each other the same way. Glory to God. That's what I want to see in 1982 through this fellowship. And then the capstone of all of this teaching about love and koinonia is what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. Ananias and Sapphira tried to live by their own rules, and it just doesn't work. you have a friend in Christ? How long has it been since you were with some friend on your knees together in prayer, confessing your faults, praying for one another, strengthening one another, James 5, 16 says that we are to confess our faults one to another that we may be healed. That's the kind of relationship we need at Capital Christian Center so we could get with our close friend and spill our guts, as it were, and say, this is where I am, and no, they're not going to spread it to the four winds. They're going to get on their knees with me and pray with me and ask God's help and touch upon my life, and it's between us as Brethren, as having fellowship in the Lord Jesus together. That's what James says. In other words, some are sick among us because we don't confess our faults one to another and pray one for another. That's koinonia. People live lonely lives in the midst of a crowd. We need to come together. John said your joy would be full when you know of the fellowship of the New Testament church. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with one another. That's what God is waiting to do in any church. That that church may explode upon a community and touch it powerfully for Christ. Let us start here today. Let me tell you a couple stories and then I'll have to quit. When F.B. Meyer, the great preacher of Christ Church, went to London, shortly thereafter he went down into the slums of London and he saw a scavenger sitting on a cart and he went up to that scavenger, and put out his hand, took the scavenger's hand to shake his hand when the scavenger pulled his hand back and said, oh, no, sir, I'm, I'm not fit to shake hands with the likes of you. Mr. Meyer simply smiled and said, hey, there's a lot of soap at Christ Church. He grabbed his hand again and shook it vigorously. And the man got up off of his cart and started walking along with the great F.B. Meyer. And soon they came across four other scavengers in the the slums of London. And as they approached the four scavengers, this fellow who had shaken hands with F.B. Meyer held up his right hand and he said, Look here, mates. The person that has come has shaken this hand to which the four fellows said, well, if he has done that, he will do. And a great revival sprang up in Christ's church, because F.B. Meyer knew about Koinonia. He reached out his hand to whomsoever he could and administered to thousands. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. If you want people to love your God, you're going to have to be in fellowship with them and let them know you care. A man died and went into the next world. As he arrived, he looked over a vast expanse of pleasant country. After a time of rest, he began to get a little bored. He called out, is anybody here? An attendant dressed in white, appeared and said gravely, what do you want? Well, he said, what can I have? And the attendant said, whatever you want. They brought him delicious dishes. He called for games, books, anything that struck his fancy and received it in an abundant manner. But after a while, boredom caught up with him and he shouted, I want something to do. I want fellowship with people. The attendant appeared again and said, I am sorry, but that is the only thing we cannot give you here. The man by this time was frantic for fellowship and involvement, and in his terrible frustration cried out, I'm sick and tired of everything here. I'd rather go to hell. The attendant came close and said, where do you think you are? I think the point is well taken. God has made us for each other. And when we do not reach out to each other, we are not sharing his life and we come into death just like the Dead Sea because it never gives, never reaches out to another. Yes, we're living in a depersonalized society and in a communistic era, but that's no excuse for the church. Because what the church knows is a sharing kind of life, a koinonia kind of experience. We are important to each other. What can I do to get along with others? Simply have the life of Jesus flowing through you and take time. Don't be in such a hurry to amass your fortune that you forget to build friendships and relationships that will in the end bring people into the family of our God. Friends, that's what God has laid upon my heart for this hour. Here near the beginning of 1982, there is just burning within me a vision for what this church can do. And from time to time, I see that vision being impaired as God pulls back the curtain and shows me people who are too busy to care, too busy to stop, too busy to love. And when we can pull down those barriers and when the Holy Spirit can motivate us like Philip to stop and minister to the eunuch, then we are going to see a mighty explosion, God's power, God's love, God's grace to this city, which will in turn touch the whole nation. Start right here today. We'll just let it happen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh God, there is a beautiful sense of your Spirit upon the Word today, and we ask that now you will plant it deeply in the lives of all of us. Hallelujah. Heal the wounded that are among us who don't feel loved, but they truly are. Heal those that have been so insensitive that they've not heard the cry of the bleeding and the dying. Speak to the sinner that is among us today who needs to accept Jesus. May they come into fellowship with him today. Do a great work in these closing moments, O God, we pray. While our heads are bowed and no one is looking around, I first want to address myself to any person here who does not know Christ as Savior and Lord. I would like you to raise your hand, indicating your desire to move into the family of God today. You can do it by simple faith, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, wash me in the blood. I want to pray for you because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. Let me pray for you today. Raise it high and say by that hand, Pastor, I received Jesus today. God bless you, fellow, right here on the front.